there's a lot of social science research that reinforces right. this. Changing your context helps you change your behavior. Right. Imagine if there was a bot in that chat and it can kind of like, you know, egg you on. But it, it just makes the passive dynamic a little bit more active. Right. To kind of say, hey, and remind you where your goals are and things like that. And I think these are not technically complex and you could see them becoming ubiquitous, right? These little yeah. sort of voices that are just like trying to nudge you in a specific right. direction. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? You know how painful it is. Acevil helps your in-house team by taking tough tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia-Pacific, which includes onboarding, procurement, device management, real-time IT support, offboarding, and more. Gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place with our state-of-the-art platform. Check out Esevel, E-S-E-V-E-L.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code BRAVE for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Shuyen, party time. Yeah, we're partying. <laughs> it's just like it's just like it's like if you just a random conversation if you're watching on youtube she just pulled up a glass of wine and a can of la croix oh. there we go that combo i guess it's a form of hydration right yeah it's always important to stay hydrated and so i recommend if you're drinking wine you should also be drinking water in my case <laughs> sparkling water sparkling water wow there we go so what you wanted to do, a few shout outs. I think a few folks said hi. They enjoyed the recent episodes. So Shien, I think you want to say something to Lena. What's up, Lena? Lena from Non-Public. They're working on something cool over there. And so wanted to give her a shout out for reaching out. It was funny because I pinged her to be like, we should catch up. And she was like, I feel like I just spoke to you recently. And then she realized, <laughs> no, she had just been listening to the podcast. I know. Good we so go. we hadn't actually spoken. She had just heard our voices. Same, so same. This, <laughs> it's like my wife receives a podcast episode from me <laughs> at the end of the day. There we go. We don't need Marathon to talk, com sweetheart. Communication complete, right? <laughs> Here are my thoughts from the day. Please listen to this at 2x speed. So actually it's more efficient <laughs> than actually talking to me. Oh, boy. I don't think it'll go down like a pile of bricks. There we go. David Herr Gunderson, thank you for enjoying your run with us and hearing our Family Officers episode. So we are looking forward to your upcoming webinar on Startup Down Rounds. I'm all ears. I think there'll be a really fascinating training that you're holding for the Singapore Venture Capital Association, SPCA. So looking forward to that. Uh, I think we got one more shout out from Shireen uh, Escott, who was asking questions about diverse founders. And I think let me just read out exactly what she said. 
She said, hey, I loved the episode. I felt that there was a lot to learn about the reality of the business. And she felt like there was a part about blind spots that she really appreciated. And yet she was also very thoughtful and asking questions about saying, hey, I'd love to hear more about how diverse founders can improve their chances of success in raising. Shreya said her friend had all the advantages and she found it so tough. It's even harder when you don't have those advantages. So yeah, Shreya, I guess that's addressed at you. What's your quick response to that before we get into the rest of the episode? Yeah, I think to refer back to that episode, we talked about what is it like when the person you're pitching may not necessarily have an intuitive understanding of the problem that you're trying to solve and how that might lead it to be sort of an easier pass because they're kind of like, I don't really know about this problem. It can't be that big a problem. And I think this applies to all founders, not just diverse founders. And I think part of it is really trying to put your listener into the shoes of your target customer. Walk through that customer journey to give people that virtual sense of what is that pain? When do you Mm. feel it? What are Mm. your current not so great alternatives. Mm. Why is the thing that you are building so much better and so much more compelling to this person? And I think the example that we had given previously was someone who was doing diagnostics through the use of menstrual blood. And there was like both the ick factor mm. and the like, hey, this isn't something I'm like super familiar with. But I think everyone has had an experience with maybe not feeling super well and going to the doctor and maybe someone not being able to understand mm. how to figure out what's wrong with you, right? So trying to find analogies to help people connect with the problem is important just to make it simpler. It isn't just in sort of ick factor things. I think it also happens in enterprise software where you might not understand the buyer. Why would a compliance person have this problem? Why would an HR leader have this problem? So I think contextualizing the problem is a really important part of connecting with your audience and helping them see like, hey, I am solving a big problem. And here's some information from customer development that I've done that helps give even more color around what that problem and the size of that problem is, or better yet, why my solution is so compelling. Yeah, I think it's even more important in the sense that every founder is an outsider, fundamentally, because if you're a founder, and you're trying to build something that's going to want to happen in 10 years of hard work to become a true reality. The truth is you're always an outsider because everybody who's an inside doesn't want it to happen to some degree, right? Because change is scary. The future is hard to build. There's a bunch of embedded economic interests that are part of the current reality in terms of incumbency. And so whenever you're trying to build that future, you're always going to be an outsider and you're always going to be like that prophet or that Cassandra in the sense that nobody really wants to believe you. I mean, for my past two companies, when I started out, it was like I got rejected lots of times as well. But I also acknowledge that I worked very hard to create those bridges. My first company, I didn't have some of these logos that I now have. And so I would just be like, okay, these are the other ways I relate to you. And these are the ways that I was just very explicitly spell it out for you. Whereas I think I have to admit that the second time was a little bit easier because with those badges, I was able to open up the doors relatively easy. That's my personal experience was like the door got open. And then after that, you still face a pretty tough crowd, honestly, once you're in the conference room. But at least the first door got open, right? And so I think my reflection is that where it shows up a lot, uh, I think if you're a diverse founder, is that it's really that first gate. You even get that conversation going, right? And so I think my perspective is you have to leverage your network as much as possible, a warm introduction. Because I think diversity is always like a certain plane. So the better there's a gender, a single plane. But what are the other ways you connect? Do you connect based on school? Do you connect based on prior industry of expertise? Do you connect based on hobby? Do you connect based on a warm connection? So really being very super specific to be like, okay, I'm different from this person in one or two different planes, which is most people, right? I mean, we all differ. I differ from you, Shri, in the sense that I'm male, you're female, you're cool, I'm super cool. And, you know, so, so. I've never been cool in my life. 
Okay, so, all right, all right. We're both equally fine. Here's where we differ. We're both nerds who are trying to be cool. Say so something, say we're cool. Okay, great. I'm not trying to be cool, man. I'm, you're not trying I'm to be cool? Okay, I'm you're a nerd who's not, never cool, of, yeah. and I'm a nerd who's trying to be cool. There we go. Yeah, yeah. But I think finding those planes is going to be those key moments, and I think that helps you get the door open. And I think the reality is that door, wherever you are, and you could be a Southeast Asian founder trying to open up doors in the US, that's also always hard. If you're an American founder trying to build doors in Southeast Asia, that's also tough as well. Anyway, so that's my quick response to that listener question this um, reminds me of trying to get through u.s immigration <laughs> trying to keep the door closed yeah so whenever i land in the u.s i try to wear something that has a local sports team logo on it i'm trying to communicate to the border control official yeah. that i'm just like him i yeah. too am a warriors fan Oh, you know, interesting. I like basketball. I try to blend in. And oh. so they will quickly stamp my passport and wave me through instead of putting me into secondary inspection and ask, making my life very difficult. So this, I think exact- this applies in a lot of yeah. different places, right? Which is like, what is the commonality yeah. you can connect with someone on? And how do you signal to them that we're all on the same team, man? We love Steph Curry. Who doesn't? So there's a bunch of news that was happening in Southeast Asia that we felt had to be mentioned, obviously, for those who are curious about Southeast Asia. I think the first piece of news was that Cambodia Prime Minister Hun Sen is going to step down and is handing over power to his son, Hun Manet. So that's a big one that happened this past week. And the second one, of course, is that Thaksin, the Thai billionaire and former leader, is going to return in August after 15 years of exile. Uh, And so uh, those are two very big pieces of news. I think this is pretty important because these are obviously important countries in South Asia. And I think that I think folks are really thinking through about how this political transitions are really important because they are part of the political stability, right? And you have can only build an economy based on political stability. And then you can only build technology and startups and venture capital that have a 10-year horizon based on that overall economic stability. So I think there's a little bit of a step ladder here that you've got to have political stability at some level in order for the future to be built on those stacks. So yeah, those are my thoughts. And now we go to our next stage. I think we want to talk a little bit about requests for startups. I think you and I had a bunch of ideas that we wanted to brainstorm and think of so i put together a little note list of ideas oh, that good. what do you got i can't wait what you got you got some right i'm sure i got a list but you go first i go first i'll go first okay okay idea one okay and I, just I'll to be it. clear is this yeah. ideas you feel have business merit or just things you wish existed because those are not necessarily the same thing i mean if you wish something exists it implies that a consumer like me wants it. And the question that you have to believe is how much of a weirdo do you think I am? <laughs> is this a generalizable problem yeah. to a large enough segment that has some business merit? It may not be a VC backable merit, but yeah. some kind of business merit. Unless you're going to say like this is a very idiosyncratic <laughs> request that Jeremy has. Um, well, no, there could be other things. Even if yeah. it's something a consumer wants, it's like too expensive to acquire these consumers. There's just not enough margin to do oh, the yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of I other reasons know. other than you're a weirdo, which yeah, we can yeah, debate yeah. separately. <laughs> separately extensively for the entire hour there we go okay so what do we say let's just throw them out nobody wants to hear about this theoretical framework about this i'll throw out one so i think what's interesting is that we have lots of generative ai models that are all tackling different languages right and AI models are not ai models they're just probabilistic language models and so they require to be trained based on language and so the first wave were all about English, right? So open AI, and obviously that's gone viral. Everybody's using it, at least amongst my friends and colleagues. And then if you take a side step out, then, you know, in China, which is, I think, part of that global decoupling, there is four different AI models that raise lots of money to basically build the Mandarin version because of two reasons. One, of course, is that Mandarin is a totally separate language that requires very different set of training materials from English because a lot of their stuff 
the Chinese internet is actually an order of magnitude smaller than the whole English mm-hmm. universe in terms of mm-hmm. time length, depth, as well as variety because of different countries and so, so forth. So I think they have to figure out different types of training as well and different kind of parameters and reinforcement training. But also because they're worried, I think rightfully so, that they're not going to have access to the English model in a sense because of that geopolitical tension. Then now actually we're starting to see the European, you know, we have two of them, right? We have one for the French that has a European focus, obviously, but as a French team. And now one is a German team and it's kind of building for the whole of Europe. So I think there's two of them, they both raise you know, hundreds of millions of dollars as part of the seat rounds. And that kind of got me thinking a little bit, which is like, okay, but what does it look like for Southeast Asia? Because we do have Bahasa, which is about 300 million folks. And then obviously there's some commonalities with Malaysian Bahasa there. And then, of course, there's also Vietnamese, there's also Tagalog. So these are all Southeast Asian languages that, frankly, nobody's going after yet from a a model basis. So I think there's an interesting dynamic where at least there's a metaphorical piece you can imagine that somebody could say like, hey, the open AI for Southeast Asian languages like Indonesia, Vietnamese, Tagalog, which is, I think, a bundle, some synergies based on the end users in terms of what they're going to be using for. So there's some customers bundling that can happen together there. But But is that just like a language translation middleware or like if conceptually, if GPT is trained on everything that's on the English Internet right now, is it that we think there are things that exist in other languages that are not in the English Internet? Or is it just that we think that there are certain idiosyncrasies about how those languages describe certain problems that there needs to be some sort of like translation middleware essentially to the GPT model? Yeah, I think some approaches, I mean, people in China were complaining that basically they could tell that some of the models, if they couldn't figure it out, they would basically translate the request from Chinese and push it through the English models. And then after that, translate it back to Chinese. And the results was a subpar because imagine it's just like, you know, you're going through two versions of that filter as well. So I think people feel like the performance isn't there. And of course, there's also an expense to it. And also you're not building the fundamental model reliability at the bottom of it. So that's interesting dynamic that's there. I mean, you can, so I think it's interesting, right? I mean, poetry would be a good example, right? The different forms of poetry in different cultures is very idiosyncratic. It's not going to be, you know, you translate a poem and all that stuff is just not going to work out. So I think that's one of the further edge cases that's there. But also I think in Bahasa for Indonesia, a lot of people are using short forms. So they're using brief abbreviations to represent the whole thing, especially in WhatsApp. And also I think for a lot of emerging com- countries, a lot of that language is not on the public internet because it's not on websites or MySpace or Reddit. A lot of it is actually messaging apps, which are all private communication. So again, it's even more invisible for a robot that's scraping the web. So I think there's an interesting dynamic there. Could be a party round. Again, I think it would be something that is obviously in terms of race might be an order of magnitude smaller to some extent because again, you know, GDP per capita is different from the Europe and US. So the economic use case is going to be one order of magnitude smaller. But you can imagine that population size does actually make it a compelling size to be like, hey, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So like the grab or gojack localization of open AI. So that's what I'm thinking. That's one idea I have. So yeah. So are you asking someone to build that? Or you think someone Why not? Uh, yeah, I've been asking everybody to build this because I think a lot of AI folks are basically building applications and, you know, they are finding some success, obviously, if you're an English user, but they can't generalize down to SMEs, for example, because they're going to be communicating consumers who are speaking Bahasa, for example, or Vietnamese or Tagalog, right? And so that's something to be aware of. Okay. Shuyen, mm-hmm. You have another idea. Let's kind of go. Otherwise, it's going to be like one idea show, right? What's your idea? You're the idea guy, man. I'm just here to drink sparkling water and poke holes. Well, I mean, 
we put out, I, I pinged a couple sort of groups just to hear what people wish existed. And I guess what was kind of interesting was that they weren't that crazy. There are like a bunch of requests for things that probably are not that far off. But the challenge is not actually, at least in my mind, the technical execution. The challenge is more like, how do you make money and distribution? Right. And that I've seen various versions of that, but it's very, they've never really taken off because of these distribution or monetization challenges. Right. So if you just think about what would make people's lives easier and better, there are a bunch of people who are like, I actually just wished I had a personal assistant that worked like a virtual mm. personal assistant that worked. And then I asked for examples of what those things might be. It's like, I want them to read my email right. and send responses to things that are like really common requests that I get. Right. Yeah. And you're like, that's actually not out of the realm of possibility. Very if you think away. about that's yeah. that shouldn't be actually that far away. But then you always run into this problem where it's just like, would you really trust your email program to write all of your email? How much control do you want? If it's a really standard thing, it's like, hey, I want to submit a pitch deck. Then yeah, you can have an automated response. like, hey, please submit our form. Or like, hey, yeah. I'm busy right now, blah, 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 whatever. But most things don't necessarily fall into those standard buckets. And so it's like, how much judgment, how much leeway things do you give? It'd be kind of interesting. But you could see something, you could imagine something that trained on your responses. Yeah. Right? There was sort of like a generic model and then you plugged it in and then it looked at what you did over a period of time and it started trying to train on you. And basically initially it would just queue things up and you would approve them or amend them and it would learn again and you kind of keep going through it. But it seems like those things are like possible, but the problem with this is just initially it would be shitty so people wouldn't pay for it. You need it to become better, but this is like the whole sort of distribution monetization problem. And so it seems right. like one of those things where like an existing email provider will do it because they already have distribution. So it's like yeah. not a great startup right. kind of thing, right? But yeah, a lot of these ideas were things where you're just like, that's actually not that far off. It probably will exist. I'm not sure a startup is going to do it. It actually seems like an incumbent is better positioned to do some of these things. Riffing off that, I think there's a version of that that has a lot of economic value and that you just reminded me of. It's basically like an AI version of Hotspot or pipe drive or some kind of sales dynamic, which is, I think, the same level. But I think it's much more thinly, which is at the end of the funnel, a sales meet in terms of a contract is signed. And then of course, customer service takes on from there. But you know, all that work is such like all bashed up, right? I mean, you have lead generation, then there's lead qualification, then you got to do the onboarding call, and then you got to do a bunch of emails to schedule stuff, and then you got to go and do the call, and then you got to close and you go to contract. I'm like, of course, HubSpot is like looking from a marketing and all-in-one perspective. But, you know, I think this HubSpot's design philosophy, rightly so, is called there's a human driving this entire process. Because guess what? We already generated a lot of these communication tools. And so I'm kind of waiting for HubSpot to maybe either implement it. That's one. But it could just be someone else, right? Which is basically saying like, look, you don't need to buy HubSpot or Pipedrive or whatever it is or Streak CRM. You know, look, you just want closed sales. We have this digital agent that basically is your secretary in terms of he's a shared or personal assistant. But it was going to help you drive sales, regenerate typing your parameters, we'll scrape LinkedIn for you, do everything. Just this big KISS, right? You know what I mean? And I think so many folks that are not company level, you're like a one-man, five-man, ten-man sales team, just be like, okay, this is a great way for us to basically double, triple, quadruple our productivity. Rather than most CRMs are about trying to avoid losing productivity because you're busy filling out notes on everything. So you could even have like meeting bots. Every salesperson hates writing sales notes. Good, I understand. Because you could be selling instead or you could be doing something else with your life. But that should already yeah. exist, right? You already have the like news, the recorder, it already summarizes and you could just yeah. insert it straight into the CRM. 
Yeah, but then you have to go and you have to put it in, and then after you have to go there, control C, control V, and then you gotta edit it a little bit, and you got press the submit button because even the transcription stuff they don't summarize it, so they just transcribe it. So what I'm trying to say is, I think just everyone's just making all this. They're like doing it now, things. though. They're starting, yeah, starting to do to. it now. Starting, have you seen starting. Rewind? Yes, I have seen Rewind. I thought it was pretty cool. It, it summarizes meetings, and it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I wish I, I actually told somebody almost like I want to say seven years ago. I said. I literally told her, someone was asking me about something like transcription, etc. I said, can you just record meeting minutes and just tell me what the to-do is? Because we always assign this to either the most junior person who normally does a terrible job at it or someone like who's kind of like middle to senior who's good enough to do it, but we need the engagement and the conversation and not taking meeting minutes. So I was literally told him, I said, I'll literally pay you like $50 an hour meeting just to get this done because we're having important meetings. Anyway, you have to take my word for it, but I literally told the person that I should record I mean, it, it exists. for Starless episode. Now it does. Yeah. It's amazing. It it's amazing. Okay, I actually turn, had the first yeah. person who actually told me to turn off the recorder. The first person in like three years told me to turn off the recorder today. Well, Apparently, I- Citibank does not allow yeah. their employees to be on any recorded calls. And also does not allow them to use ChatGPT. This is what I learned. Oh, interesting. I mean, I generally say no to being recorded, actually. I mean, you know. We're being recorded right now. Because I know we're going to be recorded. But then they're asking me stuff like, okay, we'd like to do a conversation about your financials. Are you okay being recorded? I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm just saying, if you can't say no to, why would you say yes? Yeah, totally. But like a standard business meeting? Yeah, like an internal business meeting. We're talking about stuff. But then, of course, you know, what if you're like business humor? You're joking about A and B and C. I don't know. I don't know what kind of jokes you're making, man. Better watch out. <laughs> okay, I mean, I love comedy, right? I, I think the big thing I realized about comedy is that it's always context and audience specific, right? So everything's funny within that time for that audience. But comedy kind of breaks down the moment you get outside that audience or yeah, outside the context. And so the problem with recordings is that it's not that it's, it's not that you don't have a good conversation with like your three people and you're joking about something. Let's say I'm in the army, right? And then I'm like, yeah, I, have, I used to have lots of army comedy, right? But I wouldn't really want my bosses, I'm just saying, because like they say like, oh, this is what kind of dark humor is this about life and you know, blah, 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 wanting to get out and all this other stuff. I'm just giving an example, right? That wouldn't play out well. And you zoom that out outside Singapore, then it's a different form of joke. So I think that's why everything is getting like canceled, right? It's because comedy is about some level of understanding, shared understanding of the audience and context, but also some noticing or some absurdity of the outside environment. And that ends up outside environment. Yeah, it's, it, the audience changes, right? And so I think mm-hmm. from my perspective, that is not about, I don't have an issue being recorded if as long as that recording stayed for the three of us, for example. But once you scale it out to like one billion people on TikTok, nothing you say can really pan out. Aren't we on TikTok, Jeremy? Are we gonna we are on TikTok. This, this podcast. <laughs> No, we're not going to get canceled on TikTok because we know what we're talking about and people can opt into a conversation or people can opt out of that conversation. They can choose to listen to this and swipe away from us, right? So this is a different context. But mm-hmm. I think comedy is always context dependent, right? Yeah, There's Fair a circle enough. of trust. So yeah, so I think there's lots of things that as all these meetings become transparent and then of course, maybe you're discussing, I'm giving an example, performance reviews. Right? I'm just giving an example, right? So yeah, you can imagine lawsuits happening for that. Right? So what I mean by that is there's protected categories. So there's obviously in the US, there's age, gender, so so forth, all these other things. But one of the big issues that we saw was that the reason why nobody gives feedback after interview rejection is that people get sued because they say, hey, you said that you're looking for a high energy person based on that feedback and I am older. And so therefore you're saying that you're discriminating on me based on my energy levels, code for so and so forth. And I think as a result, I think we basically saw the collapse of post-interview feedback effectively because people just say like, hey, we have lawsuits. 
So you imagine like meeting meetings about performance reviews, those would never be recorded because how do you have a frank conversation where you know that's, I don't know. I, I think there's that dynamic of transparency, which is a perfect virtue, but then also there's a trust circle and that's at some level, not the same thing. Yeah. I don't know. People say crazy stuff. I had a friend get feedback was like, you seem great, but your lifestyle requirements are not are too much for us. And like the lifestyle requirement was basically like, I have to pick up my kids from school twice a week. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it's so, like, yeah. not like she didn't want to do work. It's just like, Hey, like I have to do this thing and I'm happy to log back in after. Yeah. I just thought we were kind of like past that stage where it's like basically you can't have a working parent. I mean, that seems like an insane selection criteria. Yeah, I think it's true. And I think this the thing, right? It's just like, there's fair feedback and there's unfair feedback. And I think transparency makes it super clear, but it's not in everybody's interest to make it super clear. Uh, or it could even be misunderstood, right? So I think that's the crux of it. Uh, okay, I think another tool I have would be figuring out if something is human or bot made. I think I'm starting to see all these images, these texts, and I know it's so hard, but you want to you know if like, it was artisanal. Yeah, was it organically grown by a human? Did somebody sweat and then chocolate himself? Handcrafted. Like, I handcrafted this horrible dad joke pun and I laughed at myself, hee ha, at my laptop before hitting my submit button instead of like somebody who just automatically generated. Oh, is this a total bot? No, even you know, nobody even automatically generated. Is this a bot farming karma, right? On Reddit. Why does that matter? Why does it matter? If it's funny, who, why do you care who made it? <laughs> I'm an old person. I'm a geriatric millennial who likes my stuff, human generated. I don't know. I mean, if you look at your social media feeds as a way just to be entertained, then it doesn't matter whether it's bot generated or human generated. But if you're looking at it as a way to be part of the community, you wouldn't want this to be ghostwritten by somebody else. So, you, you know, you, if your secretary wrote that email saying, oh, I really appreciated your new line of clothing and it was really amazing, it would be, come across as much better if it was written by you rather than written by a, a personal assistant. Oh. Yeah, but you as the recipient, like, you got already the good vibes from the message, right? But that's why people want the signature, right? Somebody wrote handwritten cards. I mean, handwritten cards are luxury these days. Otherwise, it's just emails and texts. Happy birthday is very different on WhatsApp than you wrote it down. You wrote a whole birthday card. Yeah, level of effort. Yeah, and it means more like the more busy you are if you're the president and you wrote a handwritten card. It means a lot more than, for example, Jeremy at the age of 12. Well, actually, Jeremy at the age of 12 is pretty cute. So I think it was worth a lot as well. But... I'm just saying, like, to some level, you know that when someone's really busy and they took the time to do that extra human touch, it's meaningful, right? Yeah. How much would you pay for that service, though? To find out if stuff is real or not. I think, okay, to me, it would be a Chrome extension. It would just be a Chrome extension. I'll pay, like, Would you pay? For- oh, yeah, I'll pay 10 bucks a month. Why not? All right. You hear yeah, it Yeah, I'll pay 10 bucks a month. No, I mean, it's helpful, right? Year. Okay, there's a great Instagram account of follow. It's, like, real or not, or some equivalent of it. But basically, it shows what celebrities post on Instagram of themselves, etc. And then it shows the Getty images, but you know, like public photographers, public domain photographs of them at the same event. And then you can just see the difference. And I just use that to remind myself, there's already so much like Photoshopping, removing of blemishes, distortions, and all these filters. I mean, and you know, you know, like there's a lot of really attractive people, both male and female, on the internet all the time. And that Instagram kind of like always fact checks me a little bit, which is like, yeah, guess what? You know, like I don't need to look like that because it's totally impossible to look <laughs> like that. But I mean, the truth is if you go on the internet all the time, it's like, you know, your standards get warped, right? Like 80, 90% of the images are like that, you know? And then you're just like, oh, okay. It's totally normal to have like perfect skin, you know? And then you're like, no, 
oh, people have pimples. People have whatever. And he's just like, you know, I mean, I think that's fine. I mean, there's like mild blemishes and mild freckles. Like, I can imagine that like, I can't believe I'm seeing this, but it's like, okay, that's not even the worst thing I've seen, right? I think the worst thing I've seen is, you know, those waists are like super skinny. I don't know. That's why I like Zoom. It makes me look better than Google Meet. How does Google Meet do anything? What are you talking about? No, Zoom, Zoom has the correction feature. It makes you look better. What? Yeah. You didn't turn it's, it on? Is it a it's correction amazing. filter? Yeah. Wait, what? Okay, wait. I need to check this out. Is it like a good correction filter? Yeah, it's yeah. good. This is like, so uh, you, you're on Zoom all day long and you like look at yourself and then you get up and go to the bathroom and you're like, wait, I look terrible. I don't understand. And you're like, oh, it's the Zoom correction filter. It makes me look better. What are the meeks? Okay. That, t- tomorrow. But you know like, what? Right now here, whoever's watching this, there's no correction filter. This is how we look. I know. We need to complain to the Riverside platform. It's like, we need correction filters all the time. We yeah. Need, like, make yeah up. We need to be improved. The wrinkles, you know, everything. Smooth out our skin. Um, Boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So another thing that people sort of asked for, which was just like, they wanted a comprehensive view of their finances. And they oh, wanted like to be able to like, Yeah. What happened to Mint.com? They wanted to be able to interrogate it. Like ask questions of your data yeah. without having to do the analysis yourself or having to do a ton of manipulation of the data. So like oh, Mint.com like was just like, hey, I'm going to log in and put everything in the same place, right. which was, you know, step one. But first of all, it's hard to get aggregation across geographies. So let's right. say you had accounts in different places. That's pretty hard. It's easier yeah. to do in a single right. geography. But then... The data itself is not particularly insightful, right? It doesn't really yeah, tell yeah. you anything. Right. So if you had to take it to the next level, you'd want to be able to talk to it the way you talk to a financial advisor. Ooh, exactly. You'd want to be like, hey, given my current spending patterns, how does this set me up for retirement? Right. Or like, it seems like we've been spending more on XYZ thing. Like, what's going on there? And it would just tell you. Yeah. Right. It would basically analyze what was going on, and like give you answers to it. Like a personal financial advisor you could interact with but basically it's just a chat gpts bot sitting on top of your own personal data that was aggregated across like a bunch of different institutions and geographies and like the difficulty is also being able to track the cash between everything right yeah that's super fair and i think that's where some of this generative ai is really helpful as well because there's a trust component if you have multiple accounts etc you traditionally probably need an agent to support you right so some sort of like representative to walk you through so so forth but there's a privacy component i can tell them everything these people tend to be i want to say fresh graduates but they're relatively young these are wealth advisors and so i think to some extent you could trust an ai a little bit more to some extent because it's not at least talking to a human who could potentially talk about it over dinner um, no matter their nda etc so yeah that's a really interesting idea i think that's a good idea Uh, especially because you can do all those things right you can look at your property you can look at your tax rates and how to uh, apply for tax credit etc so this, that whole encompassing dynamic, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, like a real wealth advisor. Yeah, but on your own data, which is basically yeah. saying like, hey, I'm going to give you all my data and yeah. I just want to be able to ask you questions. Like, hey, am I overspending my budget? If you set your own budget, you yeah. say, hey, you know, I only want to spend $500 a month eating out. You could like, halfway through the month be like, hey, how am I doing, right? For yeah. the rest of the month, how, how am I doing against my budget? I think that would be like a sort of on-demand kind of... Useful intelligence. Yeah, like basically giving you, it kind of scrapes your credit card statements as well. So you connect it in automatically, your bank balance, etc. So it knows your, oh man, this is, 
This I've signed up for so many of these personal finance apps in the U.S. And yeah, but they're shitty. Yeah, they're shitty. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's so a true. variant. Yeah. It's a variant yeah. of a bunch of startups that I've seen, which is like trying to replace the SQL query. Yeah. Right. So it's like the constant challenge of like business analytics teams. Right. Is like they're getting questions from all over the business that are like, how is this cohort performing? What was the person's marketing campaign? Like, did it actually lead to increasing conversion? Blah blah blah. And then some poor analyst is sitting there like querying the database and it's like, well, do you need that? Is there a way people use natural language to like query the data set themselves and self-serve right. rather right. than having to rely on your on a giant data analytics team to answer some of those questions? And I think that's like the sort of personal finance analog, right? Can I query yeah. my own data? I think you also do like a, an idea that came out to me a long time ago was like a self tribal reinforcement brainwashing i don't know what you call it sounds Gold. scary so, sounds scary i don't know what the right phrase is it's okay so for me when i was like losing weight i think a big part i had to do was i had to change my tribe right and what i mean by that is i had to like it was a pain in the ass but basically i subscribed to all these health newsletters health podcasters youtubers i'm just saying right i was like change my algorithm you're listening sense, right? you're listening to huberman <laughs> yeah, a little bit but only when he's a guest i don't listen to his like regular stuff yeah so i mean i think these are all content so i'm training youtube is like hey i'm trying to get healthy right I'm, i don't want to click on those things but i click on them anyway just so that i hope that the signal kind of like i'm putting like this bad signal on the sky saying like help i need batman to come and i mean Instagram as well i follow these things i also had unsubscribed from other things right and so i think there's a bit of a cultural tribal dynamic identity dynamic and i I think to some extent, some diet nutrition apps do that. They used to do that. I used to sign up for these, these health apps with these nutritionists, humans, who would, mm. you would talk to them about take photos of your food and then they'll positively reinforce you and say like, great, Jeremy, you did a great choice about that food. I'm just saying sample, right? But obviously the problem is that it falls apart the moment you get a big giant piece of pizza and you don't take a photo of it because you feel guilty about telling someone about it and then they don't respond to it because they don't know about it and blah, 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 all this stuff, right? So, on a, so on a, how you just wear a camera and it like constantly tracks everything you're doing so you can't even cheat yourself. Yeah, but it's kind of like similar to a personal finance assistant but personal health assistant, right? It's like looking at your spend and all these other data sources that would never have been there. And then there's the AI that basically just says like, hey, we just noticed that you ate a lot this week at these restaurants. <laughs> You, you ordered a giant Hawaii pizza as an example, right? I mean, you know. I promise. Kids, I swear. It was like 2 a.m. My kids were asleep. Swear to God. <laughs> so I'm just saying like, you know, there's some sort of the AI could send me on WhatsApp. Be like, you don't need to log into an app or over WhatsApp. It's if it basically sends you a message that, hey, we just noticed, blah, blah, blah. Here's some nice positive message for yourself today. I take yeah. photos of my food and I send them to my nutritionist. And my nutritionist's yeah. constant comment is, fish balls are not real protein. Please eat <laughs> real protein. Okay. So when I did those health apps in the US, it always broke down because they couldn't handle Asian food because you're like, you're taking a plate of tak wei tiao. It looks the same as healthy noodles, honestly. But there's a big honking difference. And so from a photo perspective, it's just totally different. They couldn't handle Asian foods, right? So it's just like, you need to go carb less. And I'm like, you need to stop eating potatoes. And I'm like, I don't eat potatoes. I want rice. I want noodles. And they're like, eh. Sorry, you know, our training SOP for our army of human therapists in terms of nutrition. Okay, I will yeah. make a shout out though. Novi yeah. Health, which is a Singaporean startup, their database has Asian food. Yeah, there we so go. So you can put chakwitiao, you can put ramen, and it also has Western food. You can also put like a tuna sandwich or whatever, a bagel, it can do it. But it has uh, Asian food. So Great to shout hear. out to Suan and Novi Health. Awesome. Well, that's a plus one to our Monks Ventures portfolio company. So thank you for the very kind words. Yay. Check out Novi Health.
So yeah, it takes the tricky part, right? But it could be other things. Like I'm trying to, I want to really get more into, I think the Google and the entire internet algorithms are based on who we were. But I think, who do we want to be? You know, oh, I, don't think, yeah. I think if you could put a bot into the group chat. Ooh, like a WhatsApp. So, so I mean, I actually like this. And there's a lot of social science research that reinforces right. this. Changing your context helps you change your behavior. Right, right. So like my college friends, we all have this WhatsApp channel called the Fit Workout or whatever. Ooh. And people post their workouts. Yeah. And so, and we all live in different geographies. Basically, you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't want it. But then you can see all your friends already worked out that day. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. fine. I'm going to do something. But imagine if there was a bot in that chat. Right. So it was like even more active. It was like, Shan, don't be lazy. You know, Sarah yeah. already did this. And it can even go back and, be, and it could be like, why don't you try to beat Sarah's distance or time? Yeah. And it can egg you on. But it just makes like the... It makes the passive dynamic a little bit more active right? to kind of yeah. say, hey, and remind you where your goals are and things like that. And I think these are very, these are not technically complex and you could sort of see them becoming ubiquitous, right? Like these yeah. little sort of voices that are just like trying to nudge you in a specific right. direction. I mean, that's what Fitbit was trying to do, right? They're trying to create these communities, right? So that you could, because at the end of the day, if you're a user of Fitbit, you either could, and it circles back to your point earlier, right? Is the news feed, is that feed, of images of people being healthy, for example. Is it something to be consumed? Is this a utilitarian perspective? Or is it for a sense of belonging? And mm -hmm. the truth is that if you're just looking for information, both, but you can imagine that, I mean, I think that's the issue, right? It's like historically, every community allows you to consume in that sense, but also to allow you to belong. And so Reddit, for example, when you have bots, is that they're breaking the social contract in the sense that something that you consume was produced by somebody else who also belongs, right? In this case now, mm -hmm. the production is done by a bot and the belonging is still another lurker. Or whatever. So I think there's that breaking of the social compact. But I think... That's for the social clubs. But obviously, if you're talking about trying to get fit and you can't find that community, right? Then this is a great, I don't know, intermediate way to get there or accelerate it. Yeah. yeah. On that note, any parting ideas any, you want to shoot out there before I wrap things up? No, I think these are just always fun exercises to kind of get people's juices flowing on like, when you look around the world, like what do you feel is like pretty broken? And you know, what would it be interesting to go solve? I'm actually curious to hear from the listeners. I would invite them to submit like requests for startups yeah. so we can do an episode with listener ideas and just bat them around a little bit and talk about what would be hard or what would be easy or how do we test it. I think that could just be like a really fun way to exercise our sort of investor brains. Yeah. But yeah, I think one thing is wanted to kind of share an event that's happening this week. Right. It's Founders Friends. It's a series that we've run in the U.S., in San Francisco and New York, and always had pretty good reception on it. It's the first time we're doing it in Asia. It is Wednesday, August 2nd, and we will be interviewing a founder, Max, from Pantas, which is mm. a Malaysian carbon accounting software. He started out as an e-invoicing software and then pivoted into this and has seen really interesting traction. And so would love to invite folks to join us to hear a little bit about Max's story and then meet other founders. And I guess, Jeremy, we can include the Luma link yeah. in the show notes for folks. Definitely. And if it's successful, then we would love to be able to do more. And I think the goal of these is to have really authentic conversations and not just talk about the raw stuff, but all this other really hard stuff. Yeah. Um, so... I think that's kind of a conversation would invite you guys to come join. Awesome. On that note, see you next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com 
for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave.